Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Taking Care of Business podcast. It's actually been a while since I've hosted one of these. I've been I've been on the road quite a bit, uh, going to all the fall markets and and all that kind of stuff. And and my uh, uh, erstwhile co-hosts have uh, held down the ship while I have been out and about. So it's good to be talking to you once again. And we have a really good couple of guests today. One of the things uh, that we heard a lot in advance of market season, and as people are starting to now turn their eyes towards the next year and planning, is man, we have gotten a lot of questions from retailers about how others are handling inventory, handling ordering, handling purchasing. Because coming off these last two years where we've seen you know really kind of volatile swings in demand, volatile swings in pricing, um, you know, trying to plan for that now and understand if we're kind of getting back into a little bit normal cycle of buying and cycle of purchasing and cycle of volume, how do you plan for that? How do you figure that out at what you need to buy, how you need to manage it, how, how you need to take care of your inventory? As we, uh, and I hesitate to say this, I'm knocking on wood here as I speak, as we return to a little bit normal uh, kind of pace of business. And that's what we're going to talk about with our guests today. Our guests today are David Mills, who's the EVP of operations for CNRG and the CNRG group of stores, which includes 18 different brands and altogether is now 144 stores. And as uh, joining us with David is Philip Helms, who is the SVP for supply chain for CNRG. So these guys um, are facing all the same issues that, that just about every one of our listeners is out there, um, other than they're having to buy for 18 different brands and 144 different stores and, and different kind of focuses and different kind of customer segments. So these guys uh, are, are really staying one step ahead of all these things. And we're really gonna kind of pick their brains about how they're doing it and what their best practices are to try and hopefully shed some light uh, that might help the rest of of you out there kind of plan as we head into this new year. So sit tight, uh, listen to this quick word from our sponsor, and we will be right back to talk with David and Philip. When you grow a garden with Schultz products, you reap a bountiful crop of benefits for your customer and your business. The signature dropper applicator allows you to feed every time you water. Just seven drops per quart of water delivers vital micronutrients every time you feed. Schultz Liquid Plant Food is available through hardware co-ops and lawn and garden distributors nationwide. For more information, go to knoxfurt.com Schultz. David and Philip, welcome to the program. Thank you guys uh, so much for coming on and, and, and hopefully kind of sharing uh, uh, what kind of hell you've been through for the last couple of years as it relates to getting products and figuring out pricing and all that. Thanks so much for being on. Uh, thank you, Dan. Glad to be here. Um, well, let's dive right in. Uh, David, why, why don't you talk us uh, through, you know, kind of how your inventory management practices have changed over the last uh, couple of years uh, throughout the kind of CNRG family of brands? Yeah. So the pandemic caused a lot of people to buy more, uh, buy what was whatever was in stock. So our inventory management practice turned more into uh, survival mode, a, a free for all, yeah. uh, just managing chaos. Um we had a lot less focus on inventory productivity, uh, a lot more focus on just having inventory in stock for right. customers to buy, because if you had it, they were going to buy it. And as you mentioned, we have eight, 18 different brands and 
we have some central buying and some central buying guidance, but we also have a lot of brand level decisions that are made, whether it's by brand level buyers, uh, district managers, uh, store managers. Uh, so they got more freedom uh, over the last few years to, to really keep their stores in stock and, and make buying decisions. And some of those were good decisions and, and some of them weren't the greatest decisions. And, and, and like many other retailers and most people in our industry, we've, we've ended up with a lot of excess and extra inventory. Sure. Uh, so I'll give you one example, uh, you know, canning uh, in 2020, uh, you know, the, the big player in the canning industry kind of couldn't, couldn't supply everybody. So yeah. Uh, we had some local decisions made and ordered a few containers from a secondary supplier. Uh, we thought it was a great decision at the time, but by the time those containers showed up, uh, that that primary supplier was uh, back in stock again. So now we have a, a primary uh, that everybody wants, a secondary that's about at the same cost, and a lot of excess inventory that we're going to have to mark down and just re- really kind of make its way through. So decisions that looked pretty good a year or two ago are now coming back to to, ha- to haunt us. And I'd say, and now we're on the, the back end of that change where. Um, since supply, supply chain has improved, uh, we're putting a lot more focus on inventory productivity, uh, a lot more controlled and calculated purchases, uh, just a lot more analysis of, of what we do uh, and a lot more thinking through it versus uh, if we can get it, we get it. Now we say, do we need it? That, that's when we decide we're going to get it. So, Yeah. And I would say so. So the problems you just described are, are the problems we hear again and again, the challenges, I should say, from retailers out there. So these are really the same kind of things they're facing. And we heard in a lot of the conversations we've been having, people saying the same thing is that, you know, we kind of were in this free for all mode the last couple of years. Now we're getting back to kind of buying disciplines that we had before. Philip, I'm going to ask you, you know, because because, David, you touched on this a bit, but specifically, how have you guys kind of dealt with some of the supply chain challenges and, and still managed to keep customers happy and products on the shelves? I, I, I mean, everybody's dealt with it and it hasn't been an easy task, but but I'm interested how you guys, uh, you know, kind of dealt with that issue. Yeah, Dan, that's a great question. Um, we really had to step out of our traditional practices and comfort zones uh, to explore any and all opportunities, options that were available to us. You know, in some cases that meant sourcing from new and alternate suppliers or even multiple suppliers for the same product. Yeah. Some cases we found ourselves buying through distributors. And I really, in some cases, and I'm really proud of the local teams where they may have even bought from a, another retailer, uh, oh, yeah. some predator buying, basically doing whatever it took, you know, to take care of our customers during this time. And, and again, with this, you know, with a lot of retail experience, even myself, but, you know, with 30 plus years of retail, it was a totally unfamiliar territory because it, you know, would have just never been confronted with anything of this nature. You know, we had one example, for example, where uh, Genova Products, uh, which was Oracle's primary PVC provider, provider until they suddenly announced in January of 2020 that they were, you know, shutting down the business. Yeah. I just totally caught the industry by surprise. You know, this was a critical time due to high demand for PVC pipe and fittings because we were going through a major winter event in Texas, in the Southeast, which again was unprecedented. (laughs) Uh, And then you combine that with the pandemic hitting in March. You know, so we found ourselves scrambling to try and find alternative suppliers and to fill the void, you know, created by this challenge. You know, in most cases, the major PPC suppliers were at capacity with their core customers and they weren't able to add new customers. We found ourselves in very unfamiliar territory as a retailer with manufacturers and suppliers telling us no. We're not used to that. You know, we're used to, you know, to again, these guys trying to sell us anything and everything they can. 
So, uh, you know, we, we to combat this, we find ourselves sourcing, like I said, from many of smaller retailer, you know, regional suppliers, as well as uh, distributors uh, with PVC products. We also had to modify our forecasting to look further out and do more forward buying. We basically adapted a practice where we were looking more at the horizon instead of, you know, 30, 60 days in front of us. We were looking further out, uh, you know, for example, in the spring, looking at the fall and winter. Uh, we had to implement buying decisions earlier. In many cases, take delivery of product earlier just so we could have it when the demand hit. Uh, as I mentioned, spring, we, would, we were looking at, at fall and winter. In some cases, we even took delivery of ice melt in July and some of, you know, for some of our northern markets, again, just to get it while we could get it. You know, and also due to this unprecedented demand created by the, you know, by the pandemic, if we could source it, we would take risks. David spoke to that earlier. You know, depending on the category, we would find ourselves, you know, buying 25, 30, 50 percent more than possibly what our system said we needed because of the increase, uh, the, you know, the unprecedented increase in demand. And we also took advantage of any additional buying opportunities. We strongly supported online buying events and also any kind of booking events with Becky, just doing whatever we could do to, to source product. Yeah, it was basically looking everywhere, including other retailers, to try and get your products on the shelf. And, and you know, we, we should have a counter going for how many times any one of us uses the word unprecedented <laughs> in this podcast. But that's been a word we've all been kicking around a lot recently. And to add to the fun that you guys have gotten to deal with with just finding the products, something else that that retailers continue to tell us they've been challenged by is, is kind of the volume of understanding not just how do I get the product on my shelves, but but how am I keeping up with these pricing fluctuations and and everybody you know on the retail front is always keeping a close eye on pricing, particularly with commodity items. But but this was everywhere, and we heard retailers saying that. You know, in a normal week, I used to process a couple hundred price changes, and now I'm doing fourteen hundred, or just ridiculous numbers like that being thrown around. David, how are you guys kind of managing those fluctuations in pricing and price changes, and staying ahead of that as you're ordering products, so you don't find yourself giving up margin by not ordering, not understanding how you're going to have to price something when it comes in. Yeah, we're doing the best we can to stay ahead of that. And the velocity has been a huge issue on, on many different uh, – the velocity of these changes has been a huge issue on many different levels. Uh, we limit the amount of price changes that we send down to the stores, 250 price changes per day. Okay. Um, not to overwhelm the store associates and also not to have them just making price changes and neglecting customer service or like, sorry, neglecting store conditions uh, or, you know, or, or just – not being able to put the inventory on the shelf because you're putting price labels on the shelf. So yeah. uh, we've taken a very aggressive approach on taking prices up. Uh, we, we increase our retails when we see that there's a price change coming. Uh, not not necessarily once we've ordered the product to receive the product. If it's coming, we're, we're going to take advantage of that extra margin. So an item may, may cost $10 and we've got a retail set appropriately. We know the next time we buy it, it's going to be 15 So we adjust our retail, yeah. even though we may not get that product in for you know a few weeks or a few months. Uh, so we try to take advantage of that, that additional margin. Um, th there's also some methodology in our pricing strategy on, on, on what this price sensitivity of certain items. And sure. uh, what we've seen is that, uh, you know, as, as we all know, um, prices impact demand uh, and sometimes completely eliminate demand. And, and we've seen some sticker shock um, in, in some in, on some items where 
uh, our normal pricing strategy just does not play. You know, just does not play. Does not work. Uh, the right. product just stops selling. So, and we've done. A few, and so we've had to pay more attention. I mean, I've got two two specific examples. Uh, one of them is uh, we had ordered we had pre ordered some um, some some deal merchandise uh, for some outdoor patio, um, and we ordered it that allowed us to set a price of about four hundred dollars. It was it was a good deal. Um, we were making our normal margin on it. Before that product even arrived, there was a price, a cost change uh, that the next time we would have bought it would have increased the retail price. So we, in, we so we increased the retail price before we ever received that product. And what we ended up with was, uh, and then there was a, another retail price on, or re- retail change on top of that. So we ended up with product that if we sold it, we would have made about 80% margin, but that's not what we intended. Right. Uh, we just kind of, based on the cost we held it, we could sell it for a lot less and we didn't realize that till almost the end of the season. So we started marking it down. And by the time we got it to 50 and 60% off, we were still making some decent margin. Uh, it was just kind of an oversight and, and kind of a light bulb went off that, you know, we've, we've got to stay on top of these. Uh, these price changes and cost changes are, are so massive and, and so abrupt that, that it's really causing a, a change in demand for some items. Uh, we noticed this on, on another category as well, uh, some peel and stick floor tile. And oh, okay. we didn't realize how price sensitive that was. Uh, you know, we, we saw some, we'd gone up almost to $70 for a box of these floor tile and we had had no movement at all. We go back and look and there'd been three or four cost increases since the last time we purchased it. So normally we would have been in it at about $18 and sold it for around 30, which we can, we can sell it at that. Yeah. We were still in it for $18, but we're trying to sell it for over 70. Uh, so it just, it just, in that case, sticker shock, it just wasn't a value anymore. And we had, we had overpriced it, not on purpose, but it's just part of our normal process. So, so, so the, our process got broke a little bit. We've had to pay a lot more attention, uh, and this has also caused our inventory in, you know, increase in inventory and our whole inventory management issues. So, you know, we got to get some of that stuff priced right and, and go get you know work our way through it. And and if we can't, based on the new costs, we can't make a good margin. People aren't going to buy it. Maybe that's something we're not going to sell anymore. So, there's a lot of decisions that, that have been driven by these price changes. Yeah. And, and, and the examples you've listed, I've also heard, I'm sure you guys have experienced examples on the other side where it's, um, you know, buying something and then finding out you're selling it for not enough to, to, to replenish it. And, and so, uh, you know, I was talking to one retailer that was talking about some outdoor furniture that, that he felt that happen where, uh, where he had bought at a price and he was selling at a price and he walked out one day and said, my God, I'm losing money on every one of these I'm selling. I don't want to sell them anymore. And, and they had to rethink that. And, and I want to go back to something you guys were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, you know, cause in this rush to get products on their shelves, we, we, we uh, kind of this this term of opportunity buying, you know, you guys have mentioned it, but we've heard it a lot too, that, that, that retailers were saying, I'm, if something's available, I'm going to buy it wherever I could buy it. And, and while that was great to kind of meet demand and so on, it also kind of creates some unique challenges when you've now said, Hey, I found a deal on X or I found just X product out there that was available. And I'm, and I stocked up on it. Philip, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you guys have managed to do this? But 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 uh, do you feel like in most of those areas that you're over or under inventoried now, or does it just depend on the product, or or or, or how did you guys kind of deal with that concept of opportunity buying and now kind of coming back down to earth with it? Well, like like many or most retailers in the industry right now, we we are we feel we are somewhat out of balance and over inventory okay. in several key categories. 
Now, that's not everything because, again, there's some categories that supply chain is still a challenge yeah. and hasn't necessarily gotten you know fully recovered. Um, but also, the, this is further impacted by the sudden changes with the economic slowdown and, and uh, the changes in consumer buying patterns. We're really seeing some of our over inventory situation, elevated inventory situation, really kind of being in the high ticket items, outdoor living, furniture, grilling, things of that yeah. nature where, you know, where customers are, you know, again, have pulled back. And so, again, we're to aid with this, you know, and working through this, some of the things we're doing, we've scaled back on our buying. Okay. Uh, we're also moving inventory between stores at a higher rate than what we normally would. And then we're also finding ourselves promoting the products that we have versus necessarily, you know, uh, looking at new buys or new opportunities. And so just, uh, you know, selling, selling through, like I said, to, to try to, you know, work our way through this. The other thing we're seeing, too, is a lot of because manufacturers, suppliers, those inventories are also elevated. So they are very aggressive with their promotions. And we've had to, you know, issue caution that, you know, while it may seem like a good opportunity if we're elevated in these areas, we don't want to necessarily let their problems become our problems uh, by further compounding our, our day supply and our inventory terms. So, uh, okay. again, uh, quite unique. Um, you know, in addition, uh, we did a lot of things within our system that um, we're, we're having to work our way through. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of cases, if the system said I used to buy six of an item, but due to the supply chain issues, I'm going to up that to 24 because I don't know when I'm going to get it again. Right. Um, so now that, you know, that our systems have somewhat been, you know, been updated to this. And you also had, you know, again, the word unprecedented, um, you know, purchasing. So it kind of skewed the, the computer replenishment ordering system. You know, it, it didn't necessarily we had to go back and make sure that we adjust for the unusual spikes in demand or the impact on history. You know, in forecasting due to lack of product uh, product availability or lower no sales over the past two years. So we really had to do a lot of cleanup. And so think about what I just said for a moment, that one side is we saw, you know, this spike demand in these particular areas that is non-traditional. And the flip side of that, because of the way a replenishment system works by looking back at, you know, history and things of that nature, if you didn't have it last year and now all of a sudden you have it, it doesn't recognize that there's a demand cycle there. That So we've had to go in and do a lot of manual adjusting to our, you know, to our replenishment orders, taking things down and moving other areas up. That makes a lot of sense. One, one you know, kind of related question goes into you know, kind of inventory investment allocation for, to make it sound a lot fancier maybe than it is. But but any retailer has got kind of a limited investment they can make in inventory. So you're also having to make decisions about um, that might be uncharacteristic for the way you would normally run things. Like, for example, you know, uh, if you have a store that's always kind of the store that has a wide or broad selection of inventory, are you making the kind of decisions to say, Hey, we're going to focus our inventory investment more toward like A and B items and maybe thin our investment down or make it less broad, but deeper in, in, in higher velocity items. David, what, what, what do you guys kind of, do you have a philosophy or does it just depend? Yeah, that, that we'd like that to be our philosophy, and that, that's really what we're working on going <laughs> forward. And, and fortunately, you know, what we've just talked about on, you know, pr uh, having to go to alternate vendors, uh, al alternate SKUs, uh, you know, uh, versus a primary. Now what we're seeing is we have inventory and, and an alternate and a primary 
we, it's hard to identify what is an A, a and a B item because th- that that movement now be not, not sorry excuse me may be split between two or three SKUs, uh-huh. uh, which also impacts replenishment. So now you go, are we selling five hundred of these a week? Or are we selling fifteen hundred? Which SKUs do we add together to go? This this is the same item. How how do we get our data right? How do we, you know, h- how do we manage this? And we have got just have a tremendous amount of cleanup to do. And, and, and like Philip said, you know, changing something from a ordering six at a time to 24 at a time. Well, that might have even been the secondary skew and not the primary. So, you know, we've got things showing up that we may not want to show up that slipped through on orders that now we've got to work through. You know, we've got to work through something that uh, we, just, we just keep causing ourselves problems. But, you know, that's a huge, huge effort for us. Uh, and we're going to spend a lot of energy on that next year to, to clean all this up and, and really get our inventory more productive and more focused and, yeah. Um, and it's, it's not just the amount of a, a and B items. Sometimes it's we carry the A and B item for multiple vendors and, and we have in the past and yeah. we have just have a, a broader, broad amount of vendors. And we really have to figure, figure out if, if uh, what items are really dependent on a name brand uh, or a, okay. a certain brand name and what aren't. Uh, and that's I think that's a big question. It's kind of a marketing question, too. And, and it's and it can be very different by state or, or by our individual brands on what they carry and what their customers expect. So. Uh, we have a, a lot of work to do to, to, to narrow narrow down our inventory investment, and make it more productive. Well, how do you manage that uh, situation where, you know, it, it, and you address this a little bit earlier that, you know, as you're trying to get products on the shelves, you're looking for, you know, might not be the vendor you were used to dealing with, might not be the supplier you're used to w- uh, dealing with. But but when you brought someone in to kind of fill a void uh, for products that, that you didn't have in, in, through a traditional uh, source. Um, but now the primary vendor comes back and says, oh, we can we can fulfill you again. What what how what what do you do with that situation? Uh, do, you, you know, how do you handle it? I mean, there's the political aspect of it, but then there's the practical aspect of it. Yeah, Dan, that that is really an interesting point, because one of the things we learned with the pandemic was where, where a lot of us had single relationships with a single provider. <laughs> that yeah. we were extremely exposed. Um, and so we're, we're really kind of being strategic in a in where the category can maybe support multiple suppliers. We're continuing to take advantage of that. Okay. In the slower categories, you know, the slower segments of that where we're having to, um, again, the reason why we're supporting that is, again, make sure we keep our supply line going um, because none of us know what the new norm is. Uh, we think we do, but we're just not sure at this point. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we had to make, you know, we're making a lot of quick decisions, uh, you know, to make and clean things up. In some cases where we, we know that secondary supplier was a temporary situation, we've turned that product off. We're not in replenishment mode. And then we may be promoting that product out to make room because, you know, for the primary product, because that was what the consumer demand is for a specific brand or things of that nature. Um, but in some cases, consumer buying patterns changed. The pandemic, you know, where people used to like red, well, now they would take blue because that's what they could get. And yeah. now we're finding that, you know, they're not necessarily that loyal to to that particular brand or item because they tried something else, whether it's a private label or whether it was an off-brand um, and things of that nature. So that really is kind of got us thinking about kind of scratching our head about making sure we're looking at this, uh, you know, case by case. You know, we do have one example that, for example, ShopVac, mm-hmm. the original ShopVac, like Genova, that was a, you know, a household name that the company, the original company went, uh, we also went out of business. And so we couldn't get ShopVac. And again, so we were, we were scrambling for, uh, 
for that product. And, and we end up changing to a secondary supplier with Backmaster. But now ShopVac is back. And so we've got to make a decision. Are we, you know, are we going to go ahead and because that category is one, for example, that's not large enough to support, you know, deal brands in most of our stores. So again, we're, we're working through how do we work through the inventory that we, you know, that we have on the Backmaster product to be able to make the change through uh, to go back to the, to the shop back product as we work through trying to clean things up. Yeah. And all this kind of begs the same question that we, we talked to a lot of retailers about when we were talking about consumer shopping uh, habits is Philip, do you think that this is going to have like a longer term uh, impact? I mean, obviously the last two years, we're, we're all hoping that we're not going to see anything like that, except maybe hopefully see the kind of strong sales we've had. But but it, it, in this kind of chaos that hopefully we won't go through that anytime soon. But but does does the do the changes that you guys have made kind of in the way you approach things, is that going to play out over the long term? Do you think you guys are going to ultimately kind of have learned things that you'll you'll continue to practice or 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 is it just kind of once we get through this, we're hoping it goes back to business as usual? Well, I think the one thing we've learned is, as for CNRG is is we've learned more to be flexible, um, to be able to you know to look at change and manage change. Um, you know, probably probably not from the standpoint of assortments necessarily where we we have a choice. But one of the things that's happened, Dan, is many of the suppliers and vendors is is forcing, uh, you know, helping us to make that decision for us. I mean, I'm going to speak to just a couple of uh, you know, a couple of major vendors. One would be like, for example, Ben Moore and Bowsfar, um, two different companies. But one of the things they were they found they were where they had single source for their raw ingredients for their product or for their cans or whatever that is. They were extremely vulnerable in many cases, um, not able to supply. So they have gone through and looked at their formulations and changed their formulations so that they can better control or manage what uh, what's on the production side of the business and also their supply you know their supply line so that they can manufacture product differently than how they were before now that means they're they're reformulating product but it also means they're doing somewhat of a skew rationalization um, and optimization when they when they're going through that they're reducing the number of SKUs where they had duplications but again a lot of these vendors are just suppliers are really taking a deep look at what they're doing and where they again where they had duplications uh, or, or some cases cutting back. Well, that means for us that, you know, when I have a supplier come to me and say, Hey, congratulations, I'm going to give you eight foot back because <laughs> we're cutting, we're cutting back on our assortment. Uh, you know, especially if you're in a landlocked area like electrical or plumbing or things that sure. area, that's, that's kind of a, you know, a challenge. And then uh, national hardware is another example to where they had a distribution and direct model, but they've changed where they're going distribution only. Okay. So, yeah. So that leaves us in some cases saying, okay, we were buying these hundred items or whatever that meant, you know, might've been through distribution. Well, now we either, if it's not, for example, going into Oracle, we have to work through, um, you know, either do we discontinue that product or we try to work with Oracle to get that item added into the system. But, you know, we feel that having some of those harder to find items is, has somewhat been very important to us, right. and, uh, you know, in the independent hardware channel. Uh, because it differentiates us as the independent from the big box. Um, you know, we, we've done things like uh, we've looked at areas that our competitors being the big box are, are kind of walking away from. You know, for example, um, we really work to expand our fastener sections uh, in most of our stores. That's a that's a point of deferate, um, you know, destination in different right. 
makes us different from the other guys. We also look at one things with our, you know, with, with Power BI, which is a, a tool that we use as a company to help us look across the across the organization and identify things. We, we call them quirky items, but <laughs> items that necessarily don't necessarily pop up on the radar, but they're really kind of little nuggets, you know, little sales nuggets out there. And so we're looking at, at how we can expand it. We've actually expanded that into other locations. And again, just taking our own internal data, as you commented earlier about our business model, really allows us the ability to look across whether it's pro lumber or home centers or yeah. convenient hardware and, and look at things, Hey, these work in other areas as well. Um, you know, in addition to this, you know, many of our sets have somewhat been corrupted or, or broken, I guess you yeah. would say, or somewhat now incomplete um, as a result of, you know, what's happened over, over time. Um, not to anyone's fault, but it's just one of those it's things happened. that happened yeah. with us just trying to scramble to get product whenever we could and things of that nature. So, um, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, we got alternative items now that are that are duplicated. Um, and in some cases, the, the category or the item may not be able to support, you know, two brands. We also that there's items that's inadvertently fallen out of the sets because they weren't available. And so someone would take and pull a tag or spread out or things of nature. And, and there again, with the, with the ordering system being kind of somewhat confused uh, as well, because of what's going on, it may not necessarily pick it up. So, um, you know, to make sure there's not an empty peg or empty you know, space on the shelf, that would, right. you know, that would, it would prompt them to order the item. Um, you know, and as I, as I mentioned before, you know, movement history, um, normally would have prompted an order on that item but we're, we're finding ourselves going uh you know for example we took marvin's as a part of a sales generation profit marvin's is a you know it's 28 store group very important chain for for cnrg and we took and we did a complete assortment analysis we first started to look within the store and look at what products were missing and get those added back in and then we started to look at other stores within marvin's that a particular store was not carrying or offering and we added that to the assortment and then the step three was to look across the company at other locations and that top moving items and how we can you know we added those items in as well to again to drown out the assortment yeah a lot of moving parts uh and and a lot of trying to figure things out on the fly i know you know one of the things that we began to hear and notice this summer um, was a lot of retailers uh, seemed to find themselves in inventory heavy position, specifically on products that are kind of like traditionally preseason booked products. And, and, and namely, I'm talking about things like grills, outdoor patio furniture, things like that. And I know this was a story you heard coming out of a lot of the big boxes. In fact, I saw even a conversation once on Good Morning America where they were talking about what you should buy right now. And they said patio furniture and, and barbecue grills because all the retailers bought too much. And and uh, and so we started getting a lot of people, you know, heading into kind of the, the, the market season asking us, I'm not sure. How do I buy this stuff? How do I try and anticipate what's going to happen next year? When I'm, as we've talked for about for the better part of a half hour here, trying to figure out what's going to happen next month is hard enough right now. David, what, talk us through a little bit about the concept of of how you guys are managing those kind of seasonal or promotional buying things, uh, where you have to think considerably down the road about what the what the economy might look like. Yeah, I think we're. we're being very conservative. Uh, we'd okay. rather buy a little less and not be stuck with it. 
Okay. Uh, you know, we had we have seen some crazy wild swings. I mean, we had a very slow spring this this year, and it really impacted our West Coast brands that are they're very heavily in grills and patio furniture and outdoor living, and had had the same issue with uh, our new brand that we just purchased uh, up in Minnesota, big grill big grill seller. Their their spring was about six weeks late. So. Being very conservative, we're also looking at what product we carried over from, are going to carry over from from this year to next year. Yeah. So we're going to you know, we're going to book less, uh, and then carry, and then we've got to carry over. So hopefully we'll be in good position. And if we you know if we get out of patio and you know in, in August instead of September, that'd be great. Uh, now I'll give you one other example. You know that was focused on you know uh, the spring, but uh, for Christmas uh, last year, our yeah. 2021 Christmas uh, product about half of it didn't arrive until spring of 2022. So that that drastic that drastically changed how much we bought for this year because uh, we, we we sat on artificial Christmas trees in California uh, for you know six six months before we could put them out. So uh, that that really changes what you can do. Um, so some things in our control, some things aren't. We're just as as Philip said earlier, we're just being being more flexible. Um, and there's still opportunities. You know, when you get into the season, you can still buy some of that stuff uh, at. You know, just maybe not quite as good of a discount, but you can still you know find replenishment on grills and things like that, especially from from a uh, from a wholesaler. So that, that's where we're at. Um, kind of reminds me of the old uh, uh, being a big Simpsons fan. It reminds me when Homer Simpson uh, in July made an investment in pumpkin futures and saw the prices rising over the next few months, and he said, "I think I'm going to hang on to those till after the first of the year, and I think prices will peak." So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit, you know, selling Christmas stuff in the spring is a little tougher. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Philip, one of the things I just kind of want to bring the conversation kind of, uh, you know, full circle here is, is that, you know, the reason that when we, when we started to look at podcast guests who could help us kind of talk about what's going on with inventory management, what's going on with pricing, you know, it kind of stuck out to us is that, that you know, kind of maybe talking to some folks from CNRG was a good idea, primarily because the, the number of locations you have, the different brands you're managing. So you're managing hardware stores, home centers, lumber, farm and ranch, you know, all those kind of different types. Um, and so you have a pretty broad, uh, you know, kind of uh, view uh, of the different kinds of inventory from commodities to seasonal stuff uh, and so on. But I wanted to take one minute and just talk about, for those who aren't familiar, kind of how CNRG works. And and in addition to kind of being a bunch of different retail brands with a, with a bunch of different marketing and buying and, and selling and pricing and all those typical kind of retail functions, you guys also serve kind of some other purposes uh, as kind of like a laboratory and, and what we're talking about gathering this kind of information about best practices for inventory management or so on is really kind of core to what you guys hope to achieve at CNRG. So maybe you can catch us all up. And for the, for the listeners who might not be as familiar with, with that side of the business, with, with, with how that kind of works. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point in question about what and who CNRG is. And, um, you know, we have a very strategic relationship with, with Oracle and our, the whole point is to not only help Oracle, uh, in the case of retail, um, aspects, but also help other Oracle dealers as an example. Um, we are a term we use, uh, quite frequently. I think about 10 times today in a previous call <laughs> is we're referred to as the lab. 
Yeah. And uh, basically what we do is we share, you know, we share information, uh, you know, within oral. In some cases that, for example, we have, you know, the monthly retail meetings where we, uh, we go through sharing of best practices and ideas and, and the Oracle sales leadership team is on that as well. We've, we've worked with Oracle to, and, and other, uh, actually other retail partners to help to identify, you know, we're, we're pretty open with, with some of our strategic partners as far as what's working, what's not. Um, we also have done case studies, um, you know, several which you're familiar with, whether it's, yeah. the, you know, the West Helena uh, location that we purchased as a part of the HHC brand and then most recently the Germantown hardware location. Uh, but again, we're continually trying to help not only CNRG evolve, but help other retailers. And like I said, Oral, Oral as well uh, with information ideal sharing. We, uh, we have uh, what we call the, Collab, uh, which is a concept that we've basically with where we interact uh, closely with the Oracle person team and we share we okay. share data, you know, on, on ideas and things that we're selling and that may need to be moved into the Oracle, you know, warehouse. We also use that information to help Oracle with forecasting, especially if it's a new category, so that they make sure they're you know they're buying enough product initially, you know, or the mix that we're yeah. able to provide. Um, we also, you know, for example, work with Tyndale Marketing um, as well on marketing, testing new concepts and ideas and, and sharing results of, uh, of those, you know, those, those studies or what we learn, again, what worked, what didn't. Um, so we're, you know, if you look at the history of CNRG, uh, we've been in a constant state of change for, you know, the decade, uh, you know, that where we've grown from. 20 plus stores and, you know, in 2011 to, to 144 now. So we've, we've had to stay in a constant state of, of change and, and evolving. And, um, you know, again, we, we share those best practices and ideas as we, because not everything works, Dan, you know, <laughs> I wish, <laughs> I I wish it yeah. could. Yeah. And so if we can, you know, if we can help, that's, that's part of, that's part of what we do. Well, so 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 really, the kind of conversation that we're having with you guys today are conversations that you have regularly with with whether it's other kind of retail customers of Oracle or with the with the executive team there, sharing the insights that you guys are getting to so you can build better programs, build better best practices. Say that five times fast. Um, but so I, I, I mean, what we're talking about is kind of what you guys are in the business of doing, um, and. Uh, that being said, guys, you know, we've covered a lot of ground today and and obviously you guys have your work cut out for you moving forward as we all, uh, um, you know, we've all been, you know, certainly challenged in the last couple of years and in many ways blessed, blessed by the ability to uh, uh, have the sales the industry has seen and and to be kind of coming out this other side of everything, hopefully uh, a little wiser and and a little better understanding of maybe where we're headed in the future. And I just want to thank you guys again for taking the time to come on our program and and kind of serve as a lab for the industry as well and, and help us kind of understand how you guys are dealing with the same challenges that the, the, the little family business that might have one store in a rural area they're dealing with too. So, so thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to us today. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, always appreciate it, guys. Thanks again.